That music never gets old, does it, Andy? I mean, kudos to the maestro. I mean, seriously, I know we spent... And by the way, have you paid me for your half of that? I'm not sure. Checks in the mail, my friend. Okay. (laughs) Well, welcome back. You are listening to another episode of The Last Call, where me, David Griggs, and as always, accompanied by... Uh, Andy Kane are going to attempt to um, shallow dive into a subject matter of of moderate interest and uh, attempt to educate and entertain at the same time. And that might be a little bit too uh, illustrious, right? (laughs) I'm not quite sure we do either of those things, but hopefully so. How are you, Andy? Good to talk to you. I'm good. Uh, You know, I I think I've mentioned to you all um, before the the show here that I've been single parenting, um, which, uh, by the way, it is still amazing to me. Um, all the single parents out there that can do this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, full like, time, right? I mean, we get little oh, tastes of it. And I'm yeah. also single parenting this evening. And, you know, it, yeah, exactly. Hats off to the folks who do that, you know, basically raise yeah. children on their own. A child or children. I can only imagine oh. you know, single parent with twins is probably a oh my challenging God. um challenging few years for sure oh that's called nightmare fuel um the uh <laughs> yeah but no i think everything else, you know uh, kiddo's been home just because he's been sick but uh he's seeming seeming like he's on the up and up good well that's good to hear good to hear well um i have reverted to tight somewhat tonight and i'm drinking a gin and tonic um just because um i <laughs> i couldn't uh, think of anything more imaginative to pour myself um but when you talk <laughs> Why don't you tell us what you're drinking and then uh, maybe a little bit about what we're going to be exploring in tonight's uh, in tonight's episode. Sure. I uh, myself have actually switched it up a little bit. Ooh. I am. Uh, this sounds so pretentious when you start talking like, well, I have a nice red wine in front of me. It's a oh. <laughs> it's a Pinot from Minor uh, down in California. They're they're one of my favorite wineries. So opened up a bottle of that. Because why not? Well, let's pause there for a second because uh, we just rotated our wine storage because before um, uh, Jen and I moved to Singapore back in 2016, we had a whole bunch of wine in the house I was living at the time. So we put it into a professional, you know, like climate controlled. It's basically been sitting there. (laughs) ever since and so finally last weekend we we managed to um um well with the help of a good friend um rotate a whole bunch of that wine and so like today in my basement i now have some 2012 and as far back as 20 um 2008 um pinot noirs and so i'm really excited it's it's gonna be a lottery right because pinot doesn't age as well as some of the more full-bodied wines but but it's very exciting to go back and look at all these wines and sort of um and 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 hopefully over the christmas period and over the holiday period we're going to open a few up and they won't be you know they won't be terrible so yeah exciting the old nothing, russian roulette if you will it is a little bit yeah exactly but there's nothing pretentious about a nice glass of red andy i mean you know um well i guess i could be more pretentious about it i know that it is red um and <laughs> red and tastes good uh, that's kind yeah. of my honestly that's my threshold honestly yeah you red get some wine good label is, uh, art on there. Red wine is so much more forgiving, though, don't you think? Like white wine, if it's bad, it's really bad no, really quickly. Thinner. Yeah, exactly. Whereas red, at least there's some sort of spectrum of like drinkability, I think, <laughs> yeah, um, which is I not agree. the case for white. But anyway, yes, enough said. <laughs> so um, 
we're, this is like going to be the last episode that I think that we have um, in this particular series around bad thoughts happening to good people. And um, you and I were, were kind of batting around, like what would be the last question that you would want to ask around this topic? And I think it kind of comes with state of the union of the world. Um, a little bit what Mr. Musk is doing on Twitter. Oh, Don't get me started. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, really because of the ever present 24 seven news cycle that happens. So really, is there an epistemic crisis or is it just kind of the volume is notched up to 11 due to uh, the world's connectivity, if you will? Right. Because I hear that saying a lot, right, which is that we're in a epistemic crisis. In other words, the level of epistemic stubbornness and bad thinking has got to a level where it's become a um, negative impact on society and the way we live and potentially some of the decisions and uh, politicians that we elect. Um, is that really true? Um, or to your point, you know, are we just a little bit hypersensitive to it? Um, we've just been through a pandemic. Uh, let's start with your thoughts for a change. I normally steamroll into this and uh, <laughs> I'm going to sit back and, uh, all the way. <laughs> and give you an opportunity to, like, to take the plunge first on this. Like, what do you think? Well, let's let's first define like what epistemic um, stubbornness means. So I know if you know our loyal fan base has listened to all uh, of our previous podcasts, hang on every word. But uh, for those who are just jumping in, so epistemic stubbornness is what we're saying is um, there's a held belief by a person that no matter what, in face of um, insurmountable facts, that they still believe um, kind of the wrong viewpoint or the right. wrong. Um, uh, yeah, the wrong quote unquote fact, right? The alternative fact, um, which by the way, I hate. Uh, well, a good example <laughs> would just be like, you know, Trump, um, won the, the, uh, last election, right? And that's, yeah, or, been, yeah. Yeah. Or he's not a grifter and yet he just sold NFTs for $99. <laughs> I saw that last night. I, I almost wet myself watching that. It was, it was so entertaining. Almost want it to be a joke. Right. If he just came out with like, you know what, this whole thing has just been a complete like, like comedy sketch. Yeah. I think I'd probably take my Great. hat off. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. But not so much anymore. So, no. Right. Um, so anyway, so yeah. So that is kind of the definition of what we're talking about. Epistemic stubbornness, right? Like it's a big word. Doesn't really mean it just means, hey, a uh, person believes what they believe no matter what. Um, so I think there's always this bigger question of like, have our, is humanity better off due to connectivity and, and the new cycle? I think um, we could separate probably that out in that um, the connectivity allows things for um, a better world, I do believe. But there is kind of the subsection of that, right, where you get to um, social media and echo chambers. And we actually did. I think we did an episode on like echo chambers and talking right, about we that. We did. Yeah. In season okay. one. <laughs> um, so far, so far ago. Um, but the I think it, it doesn't. I think epistemic stubbornness is definitely a inherent uh, trait within people. I think maybe that. Um, given the news cycle and the information they're fed, maybe it's either brought out more or people find more like minds with strengthens epistemic stubbornness. So I don't know. I wouldn't say like the, the, the current state of, of communication and, and, um, news cycle really creates epistemic stubbornness. I think it actually enhances it. Yeah. Um, 
and yeah, people I think find, it enhances like, it or, or 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 gives it um some credibility, right? Which is mm-hmm. normal. So you know, if this had been let's say forty years ago, let's say it was the you know middle eighties, yeah. um, our exposure to people who um, think this way would have been significantly constrained compared to today. And therefore, um, the possibility for it to to transcend into an epidemic, I think, is also similarly um, constrained. I mean, that, that would be my thinking. I think that's where we have to come back to this kind of question around the role of the internet. It isn't inherently evil. It's a neutral um, tool which connects people. And yeah. yet, at the same time... Um, it doesn't have a filter, right? Realistically, and so good or bad, and that's a in some cases a, sub, a subjective view. Um, the information is there, right? And so I do think that um, there's some accountability there in terms of technology that's sort of fueling um, our ability to get all lathered up and fevered around, you know, certain ideals that might be complete you know bs to you and me but necessarily uh, but are somewhat validated or given a certain amount of credibility not only by the fact that they find people find this stuff on the internet but there are others who also believe it who are readily available and to discuss and to um you know what i mean so i, I think there's definitely the the, the 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 time has changed right we're now in a world where just there's just this um a uh, fire hose of information uh, and um, some of it, I think, contributes directly to um, what what philosophers might call an epistemic crisis. Yeah, and I think um, I think what you end up going into also is uh, with with the flow of information because the internet has allowed us to have you know, basically the library of Alexandria uh, for right. reals. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but I think what it also has, has increased, like it, I look at the inner internet as like a megaphone, right. And, and it, you know, it's, it just enhances or, or really, um, uh, creates a louder voice for those that haven't been heard. Um, but on the flip side of that, like, what are your thoughts around how, the consumption of information has increased. Do you think that has any bearing on, on the increase in what we're seeing? Let me think about that for a second. I mean, I think, I I don't know if I would necessarily say that the consumption of information has increased. I think, um, I, I, it's hard to tell whether the thirst for for knowledge has increased over the last hundred years amongst you know humanity. I think what has definitely happened is that the quality of knowledge available to people has dramatically taken a downturn. Um, actually, I almost want to correct myself there. Um, it, it, well, you can find whatever you want on the internet to reaffirm a bad belief. And that is a dangerous premise for folks that are predisposed to theories or, or beliefs that are contrary to, you know, common sense or are even dangerous. So I think what's happened is that there's an overwhelming now flood of information available at our, literally at our fingertips. And that um, is a little bit dangerous when compared to, you know, previously, if there was a thirst for knowledge, it would be Reader's Digest or, you know, 
Encyclopedia Britannica or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? That there was a certain curation and quality to that information. Now, like it would take me 30 seconds to find, you know, proof on the internet that an elephant could hang from a cliff by its tail. And you and I know that's not true, but I bet you we could find something that says oh. it, it is, right? Do you know what I mean? Hold on. Give me a second. Let me search for that. Well, I think the but that's active knowledge searching, right? I'm I maybe I'm I'm more thinking of like the passive um where and this gets back to this idea of like a 24-hour news cycle, right? Like there's this um on both sides of the aisle or or whatever your beliefs, I feel like there is um fabricated outrage <laughs> on mm -hmm. things. And I mean, if you're I'm I'm wondering if if there's such a thing as like first mover advantage, if you will, for epistemic stubbornness. That's an interesting um, concept. So can you explain a little bit more about that? Yeah. So it's really like if you have a person that is um, preconditioned, you know, we, we talked about this a little bit, like nature versus nurture, and it's kind of always sure. both. But if like a person is um, uh, predisposed to kind of this, this trait, um, is it like the first thing they've heard, like whatever, whatever that knowledge nugget may be that grows into this belief? Like, is it, is it really the, the person's personality that allows them to latch onto that? And what I mean by that is like, okay, if I hear the, if I, if, if I'm predisposed to that, I hear about flat earth right um before i hear hear more I about the arguments of round earth um which we all know is true um i'm sorry spherical uh earth <laughs> like is that if they hear something first are they more likely to latch onto that versus doing like hearing both sides and then picking one that's a great question i do think first in best rest right i think like there is this notion of what you're culturally historically um chronologically exposed to um probably takes some dislodging it's sort of the incumbent theory right where you know beliefs that you hold are m hard to displace with new beliefs that are contrary to that um because of that nature right you, we 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 are we are more easily persuaded something is true than something is false by by just by nature like we all are um so yeah, I do think if 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 you're exposed to some fa um, fallacy um, prior to a more balanced or you know even correct view, then yeah, maybe there is something um, very difficult to dislodge there when it comes to facts. But like it, I don't know, I feel like I kind of I want to say something very controversial, which is I feel like that's kind of the role of being a parent, <laughs> right? It, which is like you gotta make sure. Of course, your kid is going to be exposed to a ton of BS, right, from uh -huh. top to bottom, like probably you know twelve hours a day. But I think part of being a good parent and 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 ensuring your child is has a balanced access to knowledge is about making sure that you you counter that. And you're, you're getting in at the same time as some of that bad, uh, inappropriate, even, you know, dangerous thinking, let's say racist thinking or, mm. um, you know, sexist thinking or something else that is, you know, just entirely unacceptable. 
like good parents get in there and they they kind of make sure that the the right thinking is kind of at least running side by side to some of the stuff they're getting kids are getting at school so i yeah i think you're right but i also feel like we shouldn't excuse uh people who um no have that kind of attitude just because they heard that first right you know what i mean no i agree i agree i think you know going this is kind of interesting that you brought up the parenting thing because we talked about maybe i feel like we should go harvest our old um (laughs) our old episodes because we always say we should do an episode on that yeah and uh i'm sure we'd have a, a backlog that's quite healthy but i think one of the things that like even if you know we're as parents like you're never going to be able to protect your kid a hundred percent of the time no of course not um, but you but you can provide a foundation which allows them to smell like do the sniff test on stuff right right, right. and that's i think that's even more important is like ask the why and then don't take an answer at surface level and be able to dig into it exactly um, yeah yeah I think that's that's the important part out of that. Now, epistemic stubbornness, once again, it bleeds into identity. So that's a little harder to root out, like once someone actually gets in there. Um, I was just thinking about like a, a, a group of buddies of mine, like um, there's a chat that goes back and forth and stuff. And I'm just like, eh, not interested in participating. <laughs> like, it's just there's mm-hmm. I know if I say stuff, there's there's going to be uh, hell to pay. And uh, it's just not really worth the effort sometimes, you know? I think when I was younger, you know, I, well, actually, when I was on Facebook, one of my favorite things to do was to like, join <laughs> join Facebook groups that had, like, outrageous premises and then just troll them, you know what I mean? And And part of me got, like, this kind of very, I don't know, somewhat self-indulgent kick out of, like, you know, trying to be the you smartest person in the room. I was. <laughs> It was, and it, and it was a little bit, it was very fulfilling for a while and then it just became vacuous and disappointing. Right. So <laughs> I just did my entire experience on that platform. Sorry, Facebook. Yeah. Oh huh, yeah. I don't think you gotta be sorry about that. I think most are uh, getting there. Yeah. But you know, no, but I, I think, um, yeah, to come back to your point, um, you know, I, I, okay. So to come back to the main question, you know, are we really in an epistemic crisis right now? My honest opinion is probably not. I think that all that's happened is the megaphone has become more accessible. And sure, there's some bleed over effect of that, right? Because of that, perhaps more people who would have otherwise had rational thoughts are buying into QAnon and other theories that, you know, the whole, you know, adrenochrome or whatever, you know, pick, pick, you know, pick your favorite Pizzagate, like what pick your favorite like thing. Um, and I'm definitely, I'm sure there is some bleed over effect to the point is because there is this readily accessible information about things that are probably almost definitely false. More people believe it definitely. But does that actually get us to the point where that is a detriment to democracy, to society? I don't think so. I think what's happening is that as, um, consumers of media, consumers of, um, you know, things we find on the internet, um, uh, and just having a lot, uh, having a lot more information at our fingertips, I think it shows, I think we tend to latch onto the negative more than the positive. Right. And so therefore by definite, it's almost by extension, we're sort of like, Oh, mm. everything's going to hell in the handbag. But I don't think that's, I don't think that's true. I think actually, um, Maybe I'm overly optimistic, but I feel like common sense prevails and 
democracy, you know, although not perfect, probably prevails. And um, we don't descend into um, some sort of, you know, dystopian future where, you know, um, truth is just kind of, you know, obscured by, um, you know, technology. But, but that's just me. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> well, that was heavy. I don't yeah, know, I know to, right? so how do you top that? Not right? like this light drinking Pinot Noir I have in front of me. Uh, <laughs> um, I think that I think you're right. Like the there is a natural tendency. I mean, it's just it's actually uh, proven you know, time and time again that um, uh, humans do latch on to more of the negative, right? Because the whole point of our brain is to avoid the negative. Um, and so heightening that as a uh, as as kind of like a, a signal amongst the noise um, yeah, is it's the whole it, flight or actual, fight thing, right? I mean, that's it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's ingrained into us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we all latch onto it. And that's why, like, everyone likes as much as everyone says they're sick of the, the bad news. Like they kind of all still listen to it. Um, it. That's just a. <laughs> well, I mean, Fox <laughs> News is basically based on that entire premise. Oh, my God. <laughs> Don't ever get me started on that. But, Let's do uh, one on Fox News. Let's put that oh on the God. record. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready to be disowned by my parents just yet. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's uh, something to dig into there. <laughs> but um, I think the there is a bit of um yeah latching on but i mean there there is like when you start getting more common voice and you start seeing like the ability to unite um uh people in a on a whatever it may be an erroneous premise but it, if you can unite people on that premise like it it has proven out to be something that that can turn into reality i mean look at the january 6th um right you know uh, insurrection. So, um, that being said though, like, are we in a worse time? No, there's just more of us. There's more know? of us. And I think our ability to observe the world is dramatically, um, increased compared to the sixties. Right. I mean, the population of the world was doubled since 1960, maybe a bit more That's by now. Billion. Yeah. <laughs> um, and technology has, you know, dramatically increased our ability to consume ideas and frankly news. Um, and so, yeah, so I know, I don't think we're in a crisis. I don't think, I don't think the majority of people or even a, a, a material percentage of people are actually, um, well, let me put it another way. I think there is a material bunch of people who have dangerous ideas, but mm. they are mostly armchair activists, right? Who are actually mostly online. They're not January 6th, 1st. They're not like raiding the Capitol. Um, so I, I, I'm not quite ready to accept or even um, contemplate this idea that um, that we are descending into some, you know, f future version of society where um, common sense is, you know, um, essentially on the back foot. Mm -hmm. um, just not yet. I mean, let's talk in a year, right? <laughs> a lot yeah, can change. yeah. I mean, you know, there's there's been a couple... Uh points in history that have proven us <laughs> well that's my point though also is that you know if you if if we look back i mean at, at where we've been there are definitely periods of you know i mean let's take you know 1930s germany i think we could consider that an epistemic crisis what right? happened that <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, let's do one on that um 
<laughs> Maybe this well, will become a educate Andy uh, series. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you know, or even just you know, 18th century Britain. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, there were there have been times where certain beliefs um, have been the um, justification for some pretty awful. Um, deeds um stolen generation australia right mm-hmm. 1950s 1960s um so i so i i think there are there are better examples of where the world's been in, in an epistemic crisis than a bunch of people getting off on QAnon. now not right. to undermine for a second the impact and the magnitude of the january 6 um insurrection i'm not trying to suggest that that was a thing we can just shrug off clearly it wasn't and isn't but you know i don't see like it's not, it's not in. We're not invading other countries. We're not, you know, wiping out indigenous people. We're not trying to um, culturally eradicate traditions. And these are things that in the past we've done based on this concept of God and Christianity in most cases. Um, and that I think is a way more compelling example of epistemic an epistemic crisis than a few people believing that you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what is the latest thing <laughs> outside of Trump winning the last election. Like everything else just seems so tame, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think you're 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 getting a glimpse of it with with Putin and the uh, Ukrainian invasion, right? Um, this yeah. this birthright of bringing the the motherland back to to its once. Yeah, but but do you think there's an epistemic crisis in Russia, or do you think most people are just too shit scared to um, go with that one? (laughs) Yeah, right. I don't think they actually believe. (laughs) Like, I don't think there's an epistemic problem there. I think there's a like dictatorship problem there, and it's really a war of one man, right? I don't think it's. uh, But hey, could be wrong. I mean, I think you you interview a Russian person, they're going to say, you know, certainly inside of Russia. That they agree yeah. with him, but but I don't think it's really true. I think that's a, the the war of a one crazed man than it is a nation of you know people supporting him. But I'm no expert, nor I. <laughs> and that's what this podcast is all about. Exactly. It's exactly. It's uh. It's uh. We should be um. We should have a subtitle, right? It's like Andy and David colon explore the well, not colon exploring. No, that's wrong. Uh, <laughs> Um, but you know, I'll work on it or we'll have something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll workshop it. We'll workshop it yeah. <laughs> for the next episode. I'll have, I'll have that set up. Okay. Uh, well, we are kind of coming up on, um, uh, I guess a good point to uh, round this one up. What do you, do you have any final thoughts, any comments on, you know, where the world's heading? Are we, are we, are we doomed Andy? Or, you know, do you think this is just, a um, sort of a, a storm in a teacup or like something in between maybe? Um, are we doomed? Uh, eventually. <laughs> That's true. The star timeline. blows up. Uh, sun, sun eventually <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, four billion yeah, years from now. Once that sun goes, I think everyone's kind of screwed. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I think right now you're just in a, a, a heightened sense of, of reality, especially in the States, right? Like it's not fair. Well, I mean, there, this is happening kind of all over the world, but you're getting pockets of it. But like even in the States, what you're getting is like generational shifts. Um, there's a, I forget, uh, which comedian was talking about this. Maybe it was, I think it might've been Patton Oswalt, but he goes, um, you know, Trump and, and that whole movement, it's kind of the last gasp of, of the boomers. And he goes, wait until you see what Gen X does. Oh my God. Um, That's slightly (laughs) depressing though, isn't it? I mean, God. 
Yeah, but it, but it is. It's like this generational shift. And I think as you get these big shifts in population, and it doesn't happen every year, right? It happens probably every 20, 30 years when the, when the generational gaps um, shifts. That is that is when you get these palpable moments of holding on to something kind of older. Now, granted, you might get a little bit of new age and in, in some of the up and comers. But I mean, you're, you're kind of seeing this across the board. Um, it's it's a it's the power shift. And, you know, some don't go quietly in the night like they should. Mm. That's a little bit depressing for me. Um, Sorry. Because, no, but you make a great point. But if we're really saying that, you know, Trumpism, um, you know, election denial is really the last great throw of um, activi- um, activism for the boomers, um, then, my God, I mean, you're absolutely right. What what will Gen X, Y, Z, whatever the hell else? I mean, I've lost track, frankly. I've stopped, <laughs> stopped paying attention. But, you know, younger kids... Um, you know, what will that, what will happen there? Um, uh, interesting, interesting perspective. Okay. Well, uh, on that light note. <laughs> Still open for sponsorships. Uh, <laughs> Pat and Oswald, if you're listening, we both love you. I uh, would love to have you on and would love to hear your perspective on, on this topic. Um, but until then, um, we'll be back next week. And I think we're going to, we're going to, take a you know we're going to take a directional shift and find a new topic to uh to uh explore um ineptly um as we as we always do um but until then um it's been a pleasure talking with you andy and, and uh, hopefully um folks at home have listened uh, listened and enjoyed our uh conversation and um yeah stay curious <laughs>